episode 34 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I am JP Breen, and I am ungracefully filling in for Steve this week. And joining me today are both Ryan Topp and the Gabe Stoltz of Disciples of Euchre. So Gabe, thanks for joining us. No problem. Glad to be here. And and Ryan, of course, thank you for joining us as always. Joining? I've got the equipment, man. I've got, I've got the whole setup here. Thank you for running the joint. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so as always, we're going to, to start talking about kind of this week in Brewers news, but this time we've actually got real meaningful baseball games to talk about. So we're going to talk about the San Diego series. Brewers swept. Everything's good there. So we'll be able to talk about some good things to start off the 2018 season. But in the meantime, as always, you can help fans find uh, the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's tailgate on Apple podcasts. And as always as well, we want listener questions. So make sure that you're following uh, Milwaukee's tailgate on Twitter. That's MKE tailgate email questions to Milwaukee's tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. You can follow Gabe as well. Gabe, what's your, your Twitter handle? Uh, so my Twitter handle is at Stoltzy3, S-T-O-L-T-Z-Y, and the, num- the number three. Beautiful. And also make sure that you're following Disciples of Euchre on Twitter as well. Uh, but you can also find all of the normal three. You can find our uh, Twitter handles on the Milwaukee uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive our monthly minor league extra podcast, which will be coming out this week. Ryan, you stoked for that? Oh, super stoked. We're going to wait till we get the uh, rosters in and then we will we will convene after that. So probably look for it late, late this week, probably Friday ish. It should be popping up on Patreon. For our subscribers. Yes, and make sure make sure you, everybody who is a ball and glove uh, patron, make sure you get your questions in so we have some good stuff to talk about regarding that. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewery. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. And available now is Double Fantasy Factory IPA. Double the pleasure, double the fun, double it with Double FF. And seriously, they jacked up the hooch doubled the amount of hops used for Fantasy Factory. So make sure you grab your growler, head on over to the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Klinsman Boulevard, Madison's East Side, or check out Carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. And also thanks to the listeners who have been going to Carbon 4 and letting them know that they've been coming there for Milwaukee's, uh, from Milwaukee's tailgate. Uh, they're friends of the, just let them know you're friends of the podcast. I'm sure they'd be happy to see you. Milwaukee's yeah. tailgate is also... We, okay, so last night I was at a local restaurant and they had Carbon 4 on for the first time. And they actually had Tokyo Sauna, which was a beer I had not had yet. And it was pretty good. I was I was happy about it. I thought it was a, a pretty balanced uh, American pale ale. And it was, it was good. And it just happened to be on tap randomly somewhere out in the <laughs> Milwaukee suburbs. So you, you, can find it, you can find it in random places. Finding Carbon 4, expanding their footprint. So Milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored in part by sound devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear. They're located here, right here in Wisconsin. Sound device gear is used worldwide. Also found on the set of Oscar winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, make sure you check out the mix uh, pre three and the mix pre six for more information, visit soundevices.com. All right, let's talk baseball. Fantastic. Let's do it. We had, 
So we had uh, the opening three games set, San Diego. I don't think it could have gone much better. The Brewers are 3-0 and atop the, the NL Central. Um, so I guess the, the opening thing that we should say is that Lorenzo myself, Kane and Christian the... Yelich made outs. They actually made oh, outs, oh, Jamie. I mean, like they made outs. They made outs, but uh, they were on base a lot. But I mean, they made and outs. I think like clearly that's a problem. They made outs. They, they weren't perfect. You mean they didn't homer every? You know they didn't hit a home run every single at bat. I don't think that either one of them hit a homer. Like not even they didn't do. I mean, come on. They you could you could ask for a lot more out of two. How? Yeah, I don't want to push that 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 far. Never mind. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure where you were going with that, <laughs> um, but I was trying I, to be too too sarcastic. So what? But I mean, seriously though. For Brewers fans who were looking forward to Kane and Yelich throughout the entire offseason, that was probably the best opening salvo that they could have asked for. So, I mean, Gabe, we'll start with you. What was your takeaway from Kane and Yelich up at the top of the order? Are you even more stoked than you were, I don't know, a week ago? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you literally hit the nail on the head. You can't, you couldn't have pictured this in your wildest dreams, just how strong the top of the lineup is and what they're able to do now with the big bats once they get on. Oh, it's just, it's incredible just how with their speed and utilizing it, it's oh so great to watch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. The biggest issue that they had last year was getting on base, yep. especially having guys who were getting on base in front of the big power guys. Mm-hmm. Cause like some of their best on base guys were also their biggest power guys. Mm-hmm. So that sort of led to, you know, a bit of an issue where like, Thames couldn't both get on base in front of himself and then hit himself home. <laughs> or, you know, Domingo Santana the same. So it helps to have guys who are really, really excelling at getting on base in front of the, the power bats. And that's really what we saw pretty much all weekend was Kane and Yelich constantly on base and giving the, the power hitters in the lineup, you know, people to hit in, which, you know, yeah, they did I, a pretty I, good job of. And I will say that it's, it's a vast improvement from last year because i think even though guys like you know travis shaw and eric thames and ryan braun you know and domingo santana obviously were all having quality years but it was the fact that everybody the question was like do you somehow leave them in the three you know the three to five spot do you move somebody up is eric thames gonna lead off which we actually saw on saturday um but you know do you move ryan braun up to up to two how do you configure this roster to make it to make it work. And now with Kane and Yelich, it makes it pretty easy. Honestly, it, it's a, it's a pretty simple solution and it's a top of the order that not only gets on base, but draws, uh, you know, quality at bats. They can work the pitcher, the pitching staff. We saw that with Perdomo. I think he had upwards of 20 pitches by the time he was up in, you know, the, the third hitter in, mm-hmm. in the first inning. So it just, it brings another dimension to to where the Brewers didn't have that yeah, in, in their roster last year. And just their ability to pressure the pitchers with the speed on the base pads, just Kane stealing the, those three bases are just, oh, so it's wonderful just seeing them being so aggressive and just adding, like you said, just another dimension to the already potent Brewers lineup. It's uh, great yeah. to see. Well, it's worth pointing out that really outside of those guys, 
Santana had an okay weekend, and Braun did hit obviously the monster home run that you know got a <laughs> lot of attention. But outside of that, yeah, people weren't having great. Oh, and I and Travis Shaw also had a good series. He hit three. Yeah, he seven. did. He did. He that did well great. as well, and he was he hit three doubles. So, but I mean, it really was just kind of for the most part for most of the weekend. It really was Shaw, Yelich, Kane, and Santana were carrying the offense and they were able to put a ton of runs on the board without getting much in the way of help from Jonathan VR, Orlando Arcia, um, Manny Pena got off to a slow start. Um, those guys did not have really, you know, spectacular weekends and yet they were able to score because of the lineup depth that we were talking about. And when people like Kane and Yelich are on base as much as they were, which obviously that's not sustainable, but when they're on a base as much as they are, it gives everybody else that many more chances to be able to move, you know, people in. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's notable for me. There were a couple of, of kind of early takeaways um, in terms of looking at the overall roster and how they were able to perform outside of, of Kane and Yelich and, and Shaw, who, you know, I think you're quite rightly showing that they had very, very good series, but even guys like Jet Bandy or G-Man Choi or and NVR a couple of times as well. I mean, they hit the ball hard. VR and, was stinging the ball. He really was. I mean, he's he struck out too, and that's going to be a part of his game. But it 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 is encouraging to see quality at bats early in the year. Um, but I will say my second big takeaway, and this is kind of a less fun takeaway. Oh no, is. It's the Padres. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't as much you can't take anything from just one series ever, right? Like we all know that it and it's the fact that it's the beginning of the year, everybody's excited and everybody's excited to see these new names atop the order. But it's I mean, how much do you really take the Padres don't have a great bullpen? They're they have an interesting bullpen actually. I didn't realize that they have so many arm angles coming out of that bullpen. <laughs> that was it, that was insane. Um, but I mean, they, they have Clayton Richard, they have Chesi, who I think was was that his major league debut? That was his first yep. innings above double A. Mm-hmm. He didn't even get right. to triple A, okay. so he jumped straight up, which. That that surprises me. The Padres were in that kind of a situation where they needed to make a move like that. That was. Where is he well, he had a great spec list. He had a great spring. Down. I think he was number eight or number nine, mm-hmm. if I remember right. Okay, so um, he's but still he, in the top ten of a very deep loaded system, too. Oh, absolutely. He's. I mean, he's a good. He's a good uh, arm, and he had a really good spring. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're you're looking at a guy who's making his major league debut, and then you're looking at Luis Pardomo, who we also we saw him have uh, command troubles, but he's just not a great pitcher as it is. Uh, so we should in some ways be expecting the Brewers offense to put together quality at bats against pitching. That's not top tier in the NL. Um, I think it's a charitable mm-hmm. way of putting that, but w- what were the other uh, takeaways that you were looking at for the first, the first series game? Um, well, I just say the ways that they were able to win. I mean, they really all three, all three games had their, uh, separate distinctions. I mean, you look at the opening day, the twelve inning affair of just grinding it out and somehow coming out uh, with the victory despite the blown save and all. And then 
obviously the comeback, the glorious comeback, um, just yeah. showing the persistence of this team. And um, I do think that's a trait that is enough to get people excited, and rightfully so. I mean, you just don't want to see them uh, roll over and succumb to uh, defeat. But no, they, they showed the same characteristics that they did this year or last year. And yeah, I think, I'm, I mean, I know, yeah, it's the Padres, but I think just looking at it from that perspective and just how they were able to they're all all three wins came from various uh, ways I think it's definitely a reason to be excited about this team and hopefully a sign of good things to come this year yeah and I think one of the things for me on on your point there about you know the resiliency of the team and the the team clearly is not I don't want to say just you know, is having fun, but they've got a good team chemistry together. And that I think is pretty obvious. And that's something I think that comes with having a lot of young players uh, kind of having an us against the world mentality last year where they were able to just have a lot of fun, but it also might be down to Craig council uh, as well. I don't necessarily, we don't see behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, but I don't know if that plays into what you're talking about as well. Yeah. I actually, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get to it later regarding council but um yeah i think he's just one of those managers that is uh just uh light and is the driver of the party in the clubhouse and just trickles down to the guys on the field and um you've seen it you see it so many times in all sports if the coach is doesn't jive well with the team the performance suffers and uh, even when he jokes with the media he just looks like a fun guy to be around and uh especially in the clubhouse with the youth of this team. I think it really blends well. Yeah. On Ryan, I think this, this ties into a question that we got from uh PB brew crew and it, and he just wants to know in general, what our thoughts are on Craig council. He says, how would you rate him in terms of the relationship with the players, the in-game strategy, his relationship with Stearns in the front office um, in relation to kind of this first series. And I know that you can't take anything from the first series, especially when talking about managers, but in terms of that relationship with with the team, the excitement that he's able to generate throughout the team, you know, what do you think of of Council as as a manager? I'm really really positive about him. I think that obviously we don't see what happens behind the scenes, but I think that the absence of any major issues, like we really since he took over as as skipper we really haven't seen major issues mm-hmm. where guys were out of line, where there were there were visible issues that where the players were at each other's throats, or they were they were upset with management, or there was something like that. Other than you know a few things with with David Stearns and guys being sent down, but for the most part, we there's just an absence of that sort of drama. So I think that you can give Stearns, or I'm sorry, you can give Council quite a bit of credit for that. His in-game strategy, he really seems to have taken to the this more modern approach to managing a pitching staff as a holistic unit as opposed to having rigid roles for your bullpen guys and starters are starters and relievers are relievers and all of that kind of stuff. He, you know, it, it became a joke during spring training with the media that, you know, he's calling starters, you know, the, what was it, the initial outgetters or the, the first outgetters. <laughs> whatever it was. And I think that that probably is reflective of a good relationship with David Stearns and the rest of the front office as well, because that Mm -hmm. does seem to be their philosophy as well, that they would like to be flexible in that way and have more of a, 
of a modern approach and the fact that he is seems to be pretty in lockstep with that, I think that you can probably say that those relationships are pretty good as well. So there really isn't much to say on, on that on that point. And on that point, though, like we had uh, Josh Hader being used in a couple of different ways. I mean, he went multiple innings. Uh, what was that on Saturday? He did go multiple and, innings on Saturday with the off. I mean, coming. what were what were your thoughts? I mean, obviously he was stellar on Saturday. Um, but what were your thoughts about what this maybe allows us to infer about the way that Josh Hader is going to be used this year? I think he, we're going to see him be deployed in a variety of different ways. And you talked about it weeks ago when we talked about the addition of Boone Logan, who's now on the DL, but they did add Dan Jennings to sort of fill that role as a situational lefty. Hader is now able to be deployed because they have this other situational lefty for, you know, to, to come up. Um, on Saturday night, I believe the first batter was Eric Hosmer. So clearly the best hitter in the Padres lineup and a lefty. Uh, they made sure to go to Hader right away for that to, you know, to basically shut that down right before it even started. And I, I have a feeling that they're definitely looking at where guys are coming up in the lineup when they're making decisions about like when we're going to deploy Josh Hader, mm-hmm. how, how things are going to, to settle up that way before they actually, you know, pull the trigger and put him in. And with the off day coming up, they knew that they could run him a little bit longer than maybe they normally would because with the off day, now he should be good, you would think, because he pitched, he did pitch on Friday or uh, Thursday on opening day. Yeah. Was off Friday and then pitched two innings on Saturday. Should be good to go for Monday's game. So, yeah. So, Gabe, I mean, I. In my in my reading, I wasn't necessarily sure if Saturday was suggesting that Hater is going to be going multiple innings with regularity, or if this was just kind of a a one off situation because the team knew that they had an off day. So, Gabe, I wasn't necessarily sure when watching on Saturday, seeing Hater go two innings, if this was a function or like a signal of of how the Brewers were actually going to utilize Hater this year over multiple innings, or if it was just kind of a one off situation because of the off day coming up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, what were your thoughts when you were watching it? I mean, yeah, I guess you can technically view it as just as the off day, but um, utilizing him to prepare for that off day. But I think as the season progresses, we're just going to see Hater become that guy, like sort of the maybe Andrew Miller-esque of the Brewers bullpen. And just when he's needed for those multiple innings, uh, when just bring in his bringing in his shutdown stuff. And I think it's uh, definitely some foreshadowing of what's going to be seen in the future and just how council is going to manage that bullpen um, just with his electric stuff. But like, at what point does that start to flirt with, with him being overused? Right. Because there aren't going to be very many games in which Josh Hader is not useful. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like, there's not going to be a situation in which, you want to bring in a shutdown guy. Um, and and myself personally, in thinking about what Hader is, like his long-term trajectory, if they are thinking about still trying to transition to him as being a starter, and I'm growing ever more skeptical that that is something yeah. that they're interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, like, at what point, like, is there an inning? I know that Ryan's usually 
you know, got got like good arbitrary numbers for me. Um, <laughs> what like is there an inning total that you would start to get really worried, or is it more I mean, just yeah. a usage pattern part that you would get worried? Yeah, I think I de- you I mean you definitely don't want to see them treating every game like a game seven of a playoff series and just bringing them in uh, whenever they need it, uh, just six outs or whatnot. And yeah, as for how much they'll use them, boy. <laughs> I mean, I've council has been pretty clear when it's cl- well when it's clear that the bullpen is being taxed overtaxed, and um, so I'd like to think that he'll have that same awareness with Josh Hader. And I think I essentially I'm just saying that I trust him and his usage. I think he'll know when it, when it is the right time to bring him in, um, and just manage his uh, stamina throughout the year just to uh, maintain that maximum uh, talent from him. I think, yeah, Gabe's right. I think what we've seen from Council is that he's not afraid to make guys off limits and to stick to that when need be. We saw that some last year to, I think, the frustration of, of some people who maybe wanted Hater to be out there a little bit more often than he was because the team was making him unavailable after he had thrown you know, once he, you know, he'd come out and throw 35 or 40 pitches or something over a couple innings and the team wouldn't use him for two days. And I think as long as they continue that sort of restraint, it shouldn't be a problem. As long as they're they're willing to give him that time off when Mm -hmm. he needs it and to hold back when it will be tempting to use him, but you don't want to destroy this golden goose that you've got because the stuff is just electric and his ability to, absolutely dominate hitters just really dominate hitters um seven of his nine outs so far have been strikeouts but at at the just to to throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing i felt last year and i think that we we were able to some months maybe by the time we started to get to august they were willing to use Corey knabel pretty heavily and there were multiple times i think that he was going three days in a row and that is something that while i feel comfortable using somebody who is a veteran like you know when k-rod was here i had no problem using him three four days in a row if that if he came and said that he was available because not only did he have kind of the track record right but he also had the ability to say i feel good or i don't feel good because he'd experienced it so many times that he knew his own arm and that's not something that I feel confident in with with some of these young pitchers. I don't necessarily feel comfortable with Hater knowing when he feels good enough to go. And is it going to be something that Council needs to watch? Because it's not something that you're going to be able to. I think it is something that Council's going to have to watch. But he has the whole front office looking at these sorts of things too. I think they're going to be tracking this in a variety of ways. They'll be watching Hater's velocity. They'll be watching spin rates. They will be tracking you know, his usage, how much he throws in the bullpen to get warmed up, all of that stuff. I think they're going to be watching it like a hawk because I think they realize what a tremendous talent they've got there as well. So I would imagine that you'll see it it being a group effort in terms of keeping him healthy and keeping the, the numbers in the bullpen on some of these guys reasonable, you know, especially the best pitchers. Yeah. I think that that's I think that that's probably probably a good call. I think 
Yes, I agree. I think it's going to be a situation in which the entire team is looking to make sure that they have hater under wraps. They're taking care of them well, and it's going to be a constant conversation throughout the entire year. So I, I, I agree with that. But I think one of the other big things that happened throughout the week is not only did we get super strange Ryan Braun rumors, which we can talk about, but <laughs> Do uh, Ryan Braun, Ryan Braun hit a monster homer in the ninth inning. Uh, what was that? Friday night? Yep. Yep. Friday night. And then did a total badass walk off on it, too. He watched Absolutely. that thing fly. He did. You, did. did you guys hear Euchre's call? I have not. No. Oh, man. Like, oh, yeah. I have to pull that up. All right. Literally, it's just him saying, swing and a miss. What? Get up. Get out of here. Gone. <laughs> oh, he thought it was, he thought it was a swing he and a miss. He thought he struck. So I'm just Fantastic. imagining thousands of people who well, listen to that and were confused out of their minds. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it was one of the situations in which he swung and then he threw the bat on the ground. Like he looked visibly oh, yeah. upset. I thought. He and hit. so I think. I think Euchre thought he struck out and was mad. Yeah. I thought he fouled it off personally. Like I thought it was like, he knew like that was his pitch, but he just pulled it too much. I, I didn't think it was gone, but man, yeah, it was a confusing one for sure. But I think the, the nicest part about it for me was I, I went back and looked at it a little bit more. And I mentioned this on Twitter because I was like, Ryan Braun looked like he zeroed in on that pitch pretty clearly. Mm -hmm. And I, and I had remembered earlier on uh, earlier on Thursday that Braun had a pretty big at bat against Kirby Yates and Yates was kind of going fastball splitter on him and eventually struck him out with the high fastball a little bit near the same place, but it was a little bit more up and in. And so it was just, you know, better placed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And an O2 count too. Jeez. Well, all those hits came with, with two strikes. Yeah, I mean, I was I was on the phone with a friend of mine. And we were we were talking, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Braun's not going to do anything." And I'm like, "Eh, Braun loves San Diego, and if there's any hitter where it just doesn't matter what he did, like the five at bats before, it's Braun because he'll just flip it around and and turn it around in a way he can he can look terrible for a series of at bats, and then all of a sudden, you know, home run, and it, it, that's over. You know, mm -hmm. he's not." He's not a guy that seems to get lost into funks of in that way. The the main thing you'll see with him is if he's hurt, that will impede him. But long term, like cold streaks, that's just not really something he generally does. But speaking of getting lost with Ryan Braun, it seemed like for a hot minute. It looked like the Brewers might be losing Ryan Braun <laughs> to the West Coast in LA. And there was a series of completely plausible, you know, pretty well ironclad trade rumors that came out saying that the Brewers and the Dodgers were talking about a swap for Braun and, and Kemp with a couple of uh, Dodgers prospects coming back potentially. Um, and I say potentially as if like, this was a thing they were talking about. Uh, and David Stearns came out right away and was like, no, that no, that's not a thing. That <laughs> no, <exists."> stop. <laughs> um, but I think the most interesting part of it was the fact that uh, Brewers fans, there were a, a contingent of Brewers fans that were saying, well, OK, this kind of depends on 
the prospects that are coming back. And then you also had uh, all the Dodgers fans being like, why would anybody want Ryan Braun? He's terrible. And then you also had some Brewers fans kind of then saying, well, wait, Ryan Braun's not that good. Of course they should be looking to trade him. And so it was a really weird dynamic for like 40 minutes until David Stearns through <laughs> Tom Hodricourt came on, on the Twitter and said that this, you know, don't worry about it. Um, I'm glad but, I napped through it. Frankly, I, I was, oh, taking, yeah, yeah. I was taking my <laughs> post Liverpool cause Liverpool played at six 30 in the morning on Saturday. And uh, the Brewers had played and I didn't get to bed until like one 30 after that game. So I, you know, slept all of like four hours. So I was, I was all about just taking a nap at that point. And I woke up and it was like, wait, Ryan Braun's getting traded. What? And then I saw who the guy was and I'm like, well, this doesn't seem very credible. So why is everybody freaking out? Then I think it was, was it Andy who uncovered some old tweets from the reporter who tweeted out the rumor. And one of them said <laughs> it was like from the deadline a few years ago. And he says, it's going to be a whirlwind 15 hours. My sources aren't as strong as Rosenthal, but <laughs> we'll try to break trades as they come. Hashtag yeah. follow. <laughs> yeah. Andy did a great job with that. Andy Schaff, who was on just a couple of weeks ago doing the, uh, the prop bet show with us. He, he did a great job digging up that guy's old tweets to find that, uh, you know, he seems to have um, taken some liberties with uh, <laughs> with sourcing and and whatnot over over time um, <laughs> to be kind and to be polite. So yeah, that was that was nice to get that right out of the way right away to be like, well, that guy isn't really a factor. So let's just and, not do that. And it's a situation in it's it's a rare trade rumor that a continuously reappears. Um, you know, a quick, I, I've got a thought on why that constantly reappears, but um, it's also one of the rare trade rumors in which both sides go. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it was it was a case where everybody kind of went, no, that doesn't make sense that that's it, from Dodgers perspective, from the Dodgers perspective, it everybody just kind of said this really doesn't make a lot of sense because. Matt Kemp is basically a contract at this point. He's not actually a baseball player. He's more of just a contract. And Ryan Braun is a baseball player with a contract and with complete no trade abilities. He can, and who has said, I will not take a trade to anybody except basically the Dodgers. Like that's his list is I will go to the Dodgers. (laughs) So considering he won't go to anybody but the Dodgers and the Dodgers got off to an O2 start. I was like, well, this seems to be something by an LA media person who's trying to provoke people into responding based on, oh, well, we probably need somebody because the, the offense has really struggled in the first two games. Because I think the Dodgers, did they score at all in the first two games? I know they're shut out the first one. I don't know about the second one. Yeah, I don't think they scored much, if any, in the second either. And then their offense, you know, got it together, you know, later. But... It was it was one of those situations where you're like you this seems to be just completely driven by like your need to get retweets. <laughs> and that was kind of sad and pathetic. Thoughts, JP? Well, he was he was um confirming, quote unquote, a report from a Dodger rumor earlier today. He was not the originator of that rumor. Yeah, didn't the guy 
he tweeted out something that like the original guy that he got it from, like apologizing for like an April Fool's prank. Do you see that? Oh, is that what it was? I didn't even see that. Yeah. Oh, um, so this guy picked up and ran with he confirmed I the saw story it that from was a somewhere. Joke. <laughs> yeah, it was like this guy who said my son is a uh, one of the prospects and his agent pulled a April Fool's prank or something. I don't know. Literally who, who was the April Fool's joke coming from? Ron uh Cervenka. Mm-hmm. Think Blue LA. Yeah, that is who the first one came Picture to. of him with Vin Scully. <laughs> Well, and if you're a reporter worth even half of a shit or like yeah. a quarter of a shit before you run with something like that, you would yeah. figure out, oh, this is an April Fool's prank and yeah. I'm not going to run with it. We got to talk about the starting rotation real quick. So I guess putting a bow on everything here for the first series, I think we should talk about the pitching performances from the first three games, we had Chase Anderson throw a gem despite doing his best to concuss himself, uh, which he did probably concuss himself on that slide. Um, so we hope he's okay. But he, aside from that, he pitched really well. Uh, Yuli Shasin struggled a little bit in, in his first performance with the Brewers. And then you had Suter that was maybe somewhere in the middle. Uh, but what were the biggest takeaways that you were looking at from uh, the starting rotation, Ryan. I mean, I think Chase Anderson definitely showed the ability to still be a a pretty commanding pitcher, and that's good. That's what we were hoping to see. Um, Brett Suter, that's that's the kind of outing you're going to see from him when you know, probably you sort of on the bad side of of outings from him. Um, Shasin, it's probably more of a when you get everything sort of he wasn't locating the location was bad it, it it felt like that he wasn't really locating his pitches and because he doesn't have overwhelming stuff when the location is bad like it was he's going to have some issues and i think that's mostly what we saw there yeah i agree i think besides the i don't even know how to begin to describe the slide that chase anderson had <laughs> it was like, it but, was a fall but it, it was, was a fall forward yeah, it was literally a tumble. Like, can I can I be honest? When I saw the replay of it, so my first thought when he slid, I'm like, oh god, not the shoulder. Oh god, not the shoulder. Yeah. And then when I saw his head, I'm like, okay. Well, I'm just, <laughs> like, I'm just like head injuries aren't serious. I'm or just something. sitting there like, geez, some curse that just started last year with the opening day Brewers pitchers and injuries, and like continuing this year. But thankfully, he was able to come back out. But man. <laughs> It was, but there was the the interview that he gave to Adam McAlvey afterwards, in which he was like, "I don't know, maybe I even blacked out." And I was like, "Great, <laughs> like that's not a great thing to say." Oh, <laughs> so man. yeah, I mean, we all obviously hope that he's okay, but it was a scary moment. But oh, aside wow. fr- aside from that, I mean, Gabe, it sounds like you at least thought that the performance was quality. No, yeah, like Ryan said, it was good to see that same Chase Anderson that uh, inked him his money come back this year and start on the same note but obviously very frustrating that he couldn't get the win um i mean in the run support uh you want to see uh guys get that um kind of offense from the guys but uh going to chasin and Suter, i mean yeah like you said it's just the location pretty much and the only pitch that really seemed to be working for chasin was a slider um 
and then with Suter just leaving the balls uh, balls up in the zone, he was able to somewhat corral himself. But I mean, yeah, hopefully it moves forward, and hopefully Zach Davies can start off on the right foot tomorrow against St. Louis. You'd like to see him get off to a strong start. Yeah, after a, a poor start last year. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I mean, for me. Chase Anderson was encouraging for the obvious reasons that, you know, you both are talking about, but for me, I, I maybe was imagining this, but I think his velocity was down a little bit, which is worrisome for me in terms of his fastball, considering that was one thing that people were hanging their hat on about why he was so good last year. But on the positive side, I thought his command was pretty solid and I thought his curveball was good. Mm -hmm. And, when you've got that for me was one of the biggest changes because, and it's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast. So I'm not going to belabor the point, but he struggled against right-handed pitching or a right-handed hitting. And the curveball was actually the one thing that allowed him to kind of escape this uh, reverse platoon split that he had for a long time. And so it was nice to see that his curveball was still working for, for somebody like Chassin and for Suter Suter, I think is, is kind of like the quintessential swingman that I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before. So five innings, three earned runs. That's fine. But Chassin, I mean, I don't know. What do you all do? Do you all think that he could be a mid rotation starter? Cause for me, he's a back end guy and you are going to expect your back end guys to, to struggle. Um, but I mean, because we are back into this time in which the league average starter was what, like a 4-4 ERA last year? Yeah, and it's so hard to tell with him because first he was in Colorado, so one extreme environment. Then he was in San Diego, so the opposite extreme environment. <laughs> and then he has these massive home road splits last year where it's just hard to you know exactly figure out what's going on there because it, that's not normal, even though they fit with what you would think when you're pitching in a you know pretty good pitcher's park you would expect to be better at home than on the road not by that kind of a difference though so i don't know what to think of Shasin yet i'm i'm still trying to figure it out i do think it's probably more likely he's more of a back end guy more of a 4 or 5 than he is a a true 3 i think they're hoping that he's going to yeah. be a 3 and it was noted on the broadcast a little bit during his start on Friday night, Brian Anderson pointed it out um, that they're trying to get him to pitch a little bit more up in the strike zone than maybe he has in the past. They seem to think that he can do it and that his stuff plays will play a little bit better up there than uh, than he's allowed for in the past. And that might be something that to watch going forward to see how much you know, they're able to prevail on him to keep trying that even if it's not working and if he's not feeling comfortable with it, because if you you if you look at like we heard about this for Gallardo, that they wanted him to pitch higher in the zone. We've heard about it with Shasin that they wanted him to pitch higher in the zone. They want Suter to pitch higher in the zone. Is this a reaction to this new swing plan in which people are trying to get the ball in the air? in which they feel like people with with elevated swing planes now and having a little bit more leverage and actually, you know, an uppercut for a lack lacquer lack of a better word I suppose. A lacquer just of in terms of having a different term. swing plane. Look, it's we it's not great, okay? <laughs> it's not not a great technological environment that we've got going on. So I I can't talk 
and then add that to the fact that I'm stupid and we're not in a good place. Um, so, but is this a, is this a function of the fact that they're trying to adjust to the adjustments that hitters are making to try to put the ball in the air more often? And are they pitching up to try to adjust for that? Because if, just to kind of hear me out for somebody like Eric Thames is kind of the swing path that people are leaning towards a little bit. And Eric Thames wants the ball down. And Mm -hmm. is this a reaction to that? Or I don't know, is it something different? Because Shasin isn't necessarily somebody to me, it makes sense for him to pitch higher in the zone. My understanding of this, and I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is that, it really comes down to some spin rate issues and how much spin does a guy put on the ball. If you have a higher, higher spin rates can, can work up in the zone better than lower Mm. spin rates. And that, that that's the thing that teams are trying to, to adjust to. And yes, I think you're right. There is definitely a reaction going on here to the changing swing plane, the general change in the swing plane that's going on in the game where guys are uppercutting more. And guys, as a result, are liking the ball down maybe a little bit more than what we would have associated with, you know, in the past. So there is probably some of that going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be successful if you find the right pitchers who can do it, because there are pitchers who have had success with these sorts of transformations who are doing that. So. Do you how the question with somebody like Shasin is how far do you push it? How yeah. much do you try to get him to do something he may not be comfortable with when if he pitches the way he's comfortable, he's probably a you know a decent back end starter. Do you try to push him to maybe be that next that next step up to be, you know, a solid three? Even if he's not comfortable mm-hmm. with it, that's a decision they're going to have to make and and see how he feels as things go forward. I mean, they've had a full spring training to to work with him now, so hopefully they're getting a feel for it. But yeah, you know, you a lot of it comes down to the pitcher. How what are they willing mm-hmm. to do? What do they want to do? Right. Well, and it's an interesting it's an interesting mention for the spin rate. And I and I hadn't been thinking much out. I mean, that's. That's basically the argument for why Mike Fires was going to pitch high in the zone, right? Yes, because yep. his his fastball had a higher spin rate. Um, so yeah, I mean that's interesting. I don't know. Is there? I guess is there any closing thoughts that we wanted to put on on the starting rotation? Uh, any anything that this really clarified for us? I mean, what did we think of Brandon Woodruff out of the pen? Said, is there anything that we wanted to say about that? Ouch. To those two line drives, <laughs> that poor guy. Yeah, he really, he really oh, to take man. it in sequence like that too. Talk about just, a bad day at the office. Like, I mean, that's rough. Oh. Um, I mean, we'll see how it goes. the The starting rotation is going to be the big question for this team for a while. I mean, at least through the first half, we're not going to even if they they were to be magnificent. I don't know that anybody would necessarily trust it until we saw it for a few mm-hmm. months, anyway. So we just have to wait and see on that. The rotation is in a lot of ways kind of probably define what this team turns into. Yeah. And I know JP, um, his standout or his breakout player is Zach Davies. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, we're going to hopefully learn a lot about him tomorrow. Is he going to have that same uh, problem with the first inning 
as he did last year and just early on. Um, so we hopefully he'll keep trending north on his progress and yeah, just be able to maintain a steady course in his progression and just bolster this rotation even more. I don't know what your guys' thoughts on what you want to see from Davies are necessarily. I'd like to see him not throw meatballs. I'm going to be at the game. I'm I'm just hoping oh. not not seeing meatballs. No home runs not, from Yeah, Molina. like just not. <laughs> oh god, no. I don't think I can handle like oh. if you, I don't even want to think of that. Okay, moving on. <laughs> what do you got for us, JP? Well, I got a question. I think it's going to throw it back to opening day a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because I think opening day for a lot of respects could be opening day at Miller Park. Uh, but this comes uh, JS, and he wants to know what jerseys are we looking to buy for opening day. So if you had to buy, if you had to buy a jersey for opening day, um, I'm gonna be rocking my my Eric Thames Fear the Beard shirt tomorrow. So I, I just decided on that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm probably gonna get myself a Lorenzo Kane at some point, just because. That yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to have him back. That's that's big for me. So, I I you know missed him when he was gone, and I'm glad to have him back. So, that's where I'm heading on that one. <laughs> I'll be wearing my Christian Yelich jersey that I purchased for fifteen dollars from China. I saw that. <laughs> I have some friends who do the the China jerseys too, and it's like, oh oh my god, that is the, those it's are some prices. literally. The fabric and the stitching, it's spot on. Like you I guarantee if you put that up in the team store with the authentic hundred fifty dollar one, you won't be able to see many differences at all. <laughs> I cannot stress how awesome these are. <laughs> so yes, I'll be wearing my it came in about thirty days after I <laughs> clicked well, order a, online. But a, hey, it's, it's a here long boat ride. It's <laughs> It's here before open uh, the home opener, so I can't complain. But if I were to buy a jersey, I think I'd have to agree with Ryan. I, it's good to see Lorenzo Kane back in the lineup and back in Milwaukee and just having the start to the year that he's having. Oh, man, it's incredible. And, yeah, just good to have him back. Um, so if I were to purchase a – which is funny that a jersey would be more probably more expensive. <laughs> than <laughs> no, a, definitely. Would. Yeah. So, but, Yes. Yeah. Well, as you hopefully haven't been able to tell too much, um, we've had some technical issues with recording tonight. I think it's probably my PC that's causing the issue, <laughs> and so we've been we've been scrambling trying to get a connection to JP back working again, and it's not. So we're gonna call it here at this <laughs> point. Uh, so. Unfortunately, I think we got a, a, a pretty decent episode in, but yeah, it's kind of a, a you guys wild. Can, you guys can blame me for the bad luck. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is like every single time, honestly. So <laughs> JP and Steve, when I was in New York, had a hell of a time trying to get this recorded because they were having technical issues then, too. I'm pretty sure this is my actual PC that that is the problem here, but I don't know for sure. Whatever. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to get it straightened out and, and whatever. <laughs> um, that's going to have to be it for the, the show for this week. We 
thank our Patreon supporters for bearing <laughs> with us. This is this is kind of a pain, but uh, and we 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 thank everybody else for bearing with us too. Uh, hey. Not an ideal way to start the season, but hey, the team's three and zero, so that gives us a little yeah. wiggle room to have you know some technical issues and it, it being okay. Like, let's just hope that the. Brewers home opener doesn't derail off the tracks. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. Hopefully, this let's is hope not Zach like... Davies can weather the storm and come out on top. <laughs> yeah, not a not a harbinger of things to come. Hopefully. <laughs> um. Anyway, yes. Uh, you could join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com uh, slash mke tailgate. Uh, patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. You can submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google play store. You can always also leave reviews to help people find the podcast. And if you, would not mention this episode. That would be fantastic. Thank you. Um, Thank you for listening and look for us again on Milwaukee's tailgate. Go Brewers. Here we go. And as soon as you start talking, it it just sounds like a, a bit, uh. it's infrastructure week again. <laughs> damn it!